0: The Force is an ever-evolving concept in Star Wars, and the start of phase two of The High Republic asks us to examine the mysterious energy from a whole new perspective. Set 150 years in the past, this week we dive into the newest book from The High Republic, Path of Deceit, by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host,
1: Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are so excited to be talking about the latest High Republic book, kicking off phase two Path of Deceit by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland. Gang, I think this is the fastest we've ever reviewed a High Republic book after it's come out.
0: <laughs> I, I think it is. It deserves a moment. I, I, it, it really it does. deserves a moment. Moment of silence <laughs> yeah. for the review period. You can you can take that moment of silence to yourself <laughs> separately. But yes, I do think it it deserves a sec yeah. because honestly. I think we should spoil what we think about the book. I think this happened because we really liked the book and we were cooking through it. (laughs) I think, I think the fact that
1: we have this review up so soon, tells you everything you need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was Mm -hmm. uh, so I was in as you know, Charlotte and I were in Florida uh, for my birthday and we went to Disney and uh, my parents lived down there. So I stayed down there for a long time. Anyway, I was driving back from the hurricane (laughs) when that was happening and I was listening to Lipstick and Lightsabers and Shannon had started this book because we got um, an advanced copy of it. Uh, But I hadn't started it yet because honestly, it had been delivered to my apartment while I was in Florida. And anyway, she was talking about the book and she was throwing around some comparisons to Lost Stars. And I was like, Shannon, that's serious. (laughs) And I trust Shannon and I trust her book opinions. So I started it pretty much immediately when I got home. Did not disappoint. Loved this book.
0: Again, this is one of those moments where Caitlin and I started the book on the same day. And we were like, whoa, this is this is weird. And then <laughs> yeah. when we sort of got to the end, it was like, we should just record. Why would we wait? Let's go for it. <laughs> so yeah. no one cares about this. This is our recording habits and things like that. But I'm really excited to be in phase two of The High Republic. Of course, this is now the prequel era of The High Republic, <laughs> basically. I actually just came back. So it's Monday. We're recording this on Monday, the 10th of October. Um over the weekend, I attended New York Comic Con and covered two book panels there and went to the High Republic panel and they talked about the everything to basically to come in phase two. And oh my gosh, there's so many things. But I was in the middle of reading Path of Disea, got to meet Justina, got to meet Tessa and take a picture with them. That was great. But I'm really excited for this phase because the things that were explored in this book feel like they're sort of like a smorgasbord of what we're going to be talking about in all the other books too. And if this is any indication, then we're in for an absolute treat of a phase. Can't wait. And honestly, the way people talk about them, they're ever expanding authors that are joining Team High Republic. Everyone had some r- something really great to say. And it was a really great experience. I don't know. I'm, it feels good to be back in the High Republic. There was a point in the summer where I was like, wow, I actually really miss this era. And I could use a High Republic book right about now. (laughs) And sinking back into it, it really um, made me think about all the things that I liked about phase one and all the things that I'm excited for for phase two.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I remember thinking October felt so far away for when phase two was kicking off. And now it's here. And what a great way to kick off. But I think before we dive in, I do want you to share about what you bought at New York Comic-Con because this was your first New York Comic-Con. Um, I didn't get yeah. to go, but in kind of our larger convention story of 2022, you got a really mm-hmm.
0: cool thing from New York Comic-Con. Yeah. So longtime time listeners, not even long-time listeners. Okay. Listeners might know <laughs> that Caitlin and I attended at Celebration in May a poster collecting panel, and it was the only panel we attended on the collectors track. And it was sort of our wild card panel that we were like, "We're gonna go," and we had we're not collectors, right? We're really not, and we just kind of wanted to learn. We've, about he- it. Okay, yes, we wanted to learn about it. Uh, and learn we did. It was such <laughs> a good panel. <laughs> like, I feel like my mind was kind of blown from it and all the different ways that you can collect posters, what all of the posters sort of mean, the sizing, things like that. All that stuff might sound like really boring, but trust me, it, it was not. Also, I wouldn't be opposed to doing an episode about like w- poster collecting, maybe talking to someone who did that panel in the future. Let, let us know if you're interested in something like that. But anyway... We sort of came out of that panel being like, do we want to collect posters now? (laughs) (laughs) And Caitlin bought a poster, a Return of the Jedi poster at Celebration. And I sort of hadn't decided what poster was going to be like my first poster after (laughs) attending the collector's uh, panel. I do have a lot of Star Wars art and some pretty cool Star Wars posters, but It felt different because it felt like we were sort of like baptized in this (laughs) understanding of poster collecting. Anyway, so uh, a couple weeks ago, I honestly, I've been looking for a poster that I wanted to buy for a long time. And I found one that I wanted, and it was a 1982 Empire Strikes Back re-release poster. It is so cool. It has a navy navy blue background. Gorgeous art and uh, has a really prominent pink, hot, like hot pink piece in the background as well. You might not know this, but I pink is my favorite color and um, I needed it because a lot <laughs> of the things in my life are pink. So I saw that and I put like so many alerts on <laughs> this poster all across the internet. I was emailing people. I was emailing auction houses. I was emailing Etsy sellers to try to get this price down. Um And something we learned actually in that panel was how important it is to get older posters linen-backed. So this is too much information, but I really was excited about this one specific poster, and I had many alerts on the internet out for it. And lo and behold, my first New York Comic Con, I find the poster in the wild from a poster seller. I was able to negotiate the price down. I got the poster. It's linen-backed. It's in literal perfect condition. It is so gorgeous, and it is giant, and I am so excited about it. (laughs) I've posted it on Twitter and like some parts of our Instagram story if you want to see it. It's probably under our New York Comic-Con Instagram story highlight. I'll post more once it's framed. It's not framed yet and like hanging on my wall, but I am so excited. It just felt like really sort of 2022 that Caitlin and I would have that experience. I would pick the poster. I would have some struggles finding the poster online in the condition that made sense and a price that made sense. And then I would find that exact one in my home city, only a couple couple blocks away from me where I could literally walk home if I wanted to. And... I don't know. It was just so great. It everything worked out and it is so gorgeous. I'm so happy. And now I think I'm a poster collector. I think we're poster collectors (laughs) now.
1: (laughs) What's so great is that you we didn't know about this poster until two weeks ago or something like that. It very recently is when you Yeah, it
0: was pretty recent. Found the love affair was very fast. Yeah, Yeah. So
1: it definitely felt meant to be that, you know, we did the poster panel and then You've been kind of scouring auctioning sites a lot recently and just like sending fun stuff. But as soon as you sent me this one, you were like, this is the poster. This is it. This is what I need. And that was, you Mm -hmm. know, two-ish weeks ago. And now suddenly you find it at New York Comic Con when you didn't even have a poster tube anywhere handy. Our our number one rule for conventions. (laughs) But you could walk it home. Uh, Just meant to be. It was
0: perfect. I'm so glad you got it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Can't wait to get it framed. I have to hold off a little bit because my wallet's a little thin right now. <laughs> I've been buying that, but it is so it is it was so worth it. I have absolutely no yeah. regrets, and I am just really, really excited about it. Anyway, I, all this to say, I hope that my weird story about a very specific Star Wars poster inspires you to like be I don't know explore a random line of Star Wars collecting in something that you're interested in. For Caitlin and I, I think that we wanted to go to that panel because posters are art and Caitlin and I both really love art. And I think that that was a sort of a way for us to kind of explore that part of our fandom that we had never really explored before. And this felt like it was meant to be. It was so cool. Loved it, really happy. And I hope that you kind of I don't know. If you're interested in us exploring the topic of poster collecting or like Star Wars posters at all, again, like I mentioned, please let us know. I'd be interested in doing an episode. So,
1: Yeah, I think it would be really interesting to dive even more into uh, kind of that side of memorabilia because it's vast. It's extremely vast. Super (laughs) vast. Yeah. And it's also
0: overwhelming. Anyway. Anyway. It's super overwhelming, but that panel made it less overwhelming and made us I left that panel being like collecting shouldn't be this sort of gatekeeping experience for anyone. And you should just sort of latch on and explore the things that you like. And again, this was something that we liked and I think that is what we're, we're going for. Right. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think if you listen
1: to our celebration recap, I think we came away from that being like, we're just going to buy Things that strike our fancy as they do, yeah. which I, I it sounds dumb to say because, of course, that's why you should buy things. But I don't know, it was just kind of like, yeah, let me buy the weird um return of the Jedi
0: school folders and right. the lone Attack of the Clones action figure <laughs> Anakin. Yeah, it's just <laughs> taken me a long time to like realize that I don't have to follow the mainstream vibe of like collecting action figures or pop funkos or anything like that, that I can just have an assortment I don't know like what I like have an assortment yeah fill my entire desk with random bits and bobs of Padme memorabilia and droids (laughs) different pieces and like tiki mugs and things that I are I'm interested in but don't necessarily I'm not being competitive about it and I know that that's a weird thing to say but in our sort of year of exploring what fandom is I think with our especially with our Carrie Fisher essays on Carrie episodes and things like that. I think that Caitlin and I have had a little bit of a reckoning of like, no, we're just going to explore and buy what we like Yeah, (laughs) and the also the weirder, the better in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly.
1: All right. Well, this is not a collecting episode. This is about the High Republic. So let's dive into Path of Deceit. Part one is going to be all of our first impressions. Part two is our deeper themes and characters. And part three is where we go through some quotes. Without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. All right. Welcome to part one, where we're going over first impressions and kind of big picture on this book, Path of Deceit. So it's set 150 years into the past, which we kind of talked about this when we did our episode on The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, which was kind of closed out phase one of The High Republic and was the last episode we've done on The High Republic on Sky Talkers, And we talked about how it was a huge shift into the past, especially considering the cliffhanger that they left us on at the end of The Fallen Star. Um, Having read the first book now in phase two, Path of Deceits, is this vision becoming clearer? Are we glad we went back into the past?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. And As someone who wasn't really present in Star Wars fandom when George Lucas made the decision to go from Return of the Jedi to The Phantom Menace, I feel like we're mimicking that experience a little bit here of, oh no, we want to know what happens next after the fallen star. Why are they going back? (laughs) And when you read this book, you realize, oh no, there's so much to explore and also for me, this was a real awakening of how much I've actually retained from those those books that's what before. I was say. <laughs> yeah. It's, I was like, whoa, I remember everything. And I didn't realize I did. And that was great because I think that's a real testament to the writing and the stories that are being told and the characters' names and things like that. It was like, oh no, I recognize that. I recognize that, even though I'm not thinking about it 24-7 because I'm really not. And I realized how I am actually emotionally attached to a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Especially considering we
1: we read a lot of The High Republic. We didn't read every single thing that came out of yeah. The High Republic though. So I think that's also a good, um, I guess, confirmation for people who maybe aren't as caught up or looking to get into The High Republic that, you know, we read, I would say solidly 50%, probably closer to 70% of everything that came mm-hmm. out from phase one. And you read more than I did, I know. And I felt I felt really good about recognizing so much <laughs> in this book.
0: Also, I feel like you could enjoy this book individually without knowing what comes later too, which is a, like a really interesting testament to the book as well. I keep saying that, but the book was so good. I really felt so connected to this book in a way that I haven't felt like in a really long time with a Star Wars book. Because for me, it kind of didn't feel like a Star Wars book. It felt like its own thing. And again, I think that this is the – it's a weird thing to think about. But this is the furthest into the past that Star Wars has ever gone. And it didn't feel – like I knew what universe I was in. When things were mentioned, when the Force was mentioned, this book is a really interesting exploration of the Force. I'm sure we're going to talk about it. When things were mentioned, it didn't. I didn't feel like a yearning for connection to other Star Wars stories either. I didn't even necessarily feel a yearning for connection to the other High Republic stories. The this book felt so fleshed out and so well done and well written that I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I'm getting at. I just i I feel like this was a really good beginning for this era, and also like, totally stood on its own.
1: Yeah, I think this is a good question about how well does Path of Deceit stand on its own or even as an entry point into the High Republic. And I think this is going it's funny because I think this is just such a Star Wars thing. Right. What's the entry point? And there are so many kind of nuggets, and you can call them Easter eggs, but just, I guess, kind of foundational things that were laid in phase one that are are referenced quite a bit in this book and some reveals that we'll talk about. I don't know why... This is a spoiler podcast, so I don't know why I'm like dancing around this, but something like the leveler. <laughs> you
0: are you. You really did set the stage for dancing around. I, it. I know. I'm, like, and I'm, I'm like, ready wait to dance. <laughs> like we're not. We're we, we <laughs> spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: So things like like the graphs and the Santecas and the leveler and and even uh, the Roe family and the gaze electric. All of that would be brand new to you if this is your first time into the High Republic. I don't think that's bad. And I think that's the Star Wars experience, right? Um, If you start with The Phantom Menace or A New Hope, you're gonna have a different kind of revelation of certain things. And I think that's super cool. And, And even thinking about how we're introduced to the leveler in phase one, I think that would be a really cool reveal too for someone who starts maybe with the path of deceit and kind of through phase two to then get to what we what we um experience in like the fallen star and and like connect the dots that way just the reverse of how we connected the dots here i just i think that's super cool and so star wars and i don't know i'm it was so shocking that they made this decision but also again it's it we're not we're used to this kind of jumping around in timeline and i think going this far back in the past was so great and was I don't know. It, you're right. It didn't feel like Star Wars in the way that it just felt so fresh to kind of explore what the galaxy looked like in this time period. And I remember, I don't want to take credit for it, uh, but when I was listening to Lipstick and Lightsabers and Shannon was talking about it, and she was kind of talking about um you know, she her loving it as much as she loved Lost Stars on her first read. And she just described that the book kind of read more like a fantasy novel than straight Star totally Wars is. because it was so far back in time. and And things like hyperspace are even more rudimentary than where we see them in phase one of the high republic and the way that people are like moving about the galaxy and communication is more difficult and things like that it feels way more fantasy and i love kind of leaning into that in star wars i think it's so cool and i think that was such a great way to describe the book and yeah i mean we're we're gonna talk about it but i think path of deceit has easily become our favorite in the high republic kind of (laughs) automatically
0: It's going to be really hard to top this. I (laughs) zoomed through it and I didn't want it to end. And I just thought, and I, this is me being a 29 year old, like, I don't, I don't know. The vibes were so good. Okay, (laughs) Like the, the, everything about it was so good. I loved the exploration of a force cult. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it was so great. I also really liked this force cult too. And (laughs) it wasn't creepy. And I I, want to talk about that later. I have a lot to say about the culty vibes, but I felt like this book with the romance aspects, the fact that every page, when we would skip from character to character, I found myself not being disappointed that we were checking in with, that we were like shifting focus Mm -hmm. from different characters. And I think that's a real sign of a good book, right? Is that you're interested in every single thing that's happening. Um, And I, yeah, again, I found myself interested in all of it. I don't want to hype it up too much if you haven't read it. I know there are people who are going to listen to this who read it. I want everyone to uh, have their own opinion, but I feel like for Caitlin and I, this was our High Republic book. (laughs) This is it. I also, I also feel like this didn't really read as young adult as like comparatively to the others. This sort of read more adult to me. I don't know why I, I, I think that. So in my head, there are th- in the in phase 1 there were three adult star wars books that i think are crucial for understanding the high republic and if you're going to get into the high republic i do think that it's like necessary for you to read all of those right mm-hmm. and so in my head this one feels like one of those this one feels like one that you absolutely have to read because it is so fundamental i think what do you think about that
1: i think thinking about path of deceit as Not strictly YA. I think I'm going to talk about comparing it to Lost Stars again. But I think that Lost Stars, why that has such a hold on us as a fandom is because while it's a great romance story and we love romance, it's also that book was also asking you to think about good and bad, that black and white dichotomy and when personal relationships get caught in the middle of not only... Where they're quote unquote working, but the sides of this war and people just caught up in the middle of it. It had the very kind of philosophical lean to it, I think. And I think that was a, a great way to kind of usher in the Disney era of Star Wars, which I think is something that they've explored a lot, that concept of having a side, being put on a side, changing your mind, right? We talk about it all the time, personal choice. And I think that Path of Deceit is doing a very similar thing, but from the perspective of the Force and kind of asking us to think about what we know about the Force, what we you know, the Jedi are good. And we've had so many conversations about the way that they have uh, fallen short of their calling throughout different generations. But I think that it's interesting to come into a book like this and have something like The Path of the Open Hand to compare it to the Jedi and their view of the Force and the Path's view of the Force and be kind of like, okay, what what do I actually think about the Force and how the Jedi use it and how other people across the galaxy do and do not use it? And what do I think about something like the path of the open hand? And, <laughs> y- you know, it, it's really kind of asking you to question your perspective of something as big as the Force. And uh, I think that Lost Stars did something similar in asking you to question how you view people on the side of the empire, for example. And sometimes that, that can feel like the first time in a big way in in something like publishing or what we'll see later in the line down the line, I'm sure, in more live action. Even thinking about the Acolyte, it feels like this could be something the Acolyte gets into. Um, I don't know. I, I hope so. I right? Hope so. Please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I think that is why Path of Deceit feels so... Important and uh, I don't know, like thought provoking. And for us, particularly, you said that this was like an instant sky talkers favorite. And I think it's how could it not be? I think if anyone reads this book, they'll be like, Yeah, sky talkers are gonna like this book. It's basically weird force stuff in a book. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and okay, so here's, here's the thing about this is I can't imagine how liberating it must have been for these writers to be like to be in the place of the Jedi being so sort of. Rudimentary is probably not the right word, but the earliest that we've ever seen the Jedi to be able to have these characters sort of question everything they know about the force and then also create a bunch of different um, cults and like sects who think about the force differently. Right. And I can imagine how freeing that is in the same way that it was probably really freeing for people like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson to explore what happens after. Return of the Jedi and what does that mean for the force and how do you push forward? It's even more freeing this way to have people to, to write characters who like we're talking hundreds of characters who are exploring the force in a different way that we the audience are just so unfamiliar with. So we have this ability to step into uh, this unknown, which is so cool. Yeah, And to it's it's what Caitlin and I have debated in so many different forums about who owns the force? What is the balance? And things like that. I mean, that's the thing. That's what they're getting at in phase two of The High Republic. It feels like it's called Quest for of the Jedi. It, that quest, I feel like, is force exploration, is discovering what's within and what their relationship is to the force. And what does it mean to have a relationship with the force? I, I don't know. I felt like this, this book was romantic, fantastical, dramatic, fast-paced, gripping. I... I think also one thing I think that we should note is that it's cool that this book has two authors. I have no idea how that works, <laughs> and I uh, I think that something about this book having two authors also meant that it felt like a lot of things were fleshed out because there were two different people who were probably working on it, and I think that it's probably a product of a lot of really solid conversations with a lot of people about what should be explored, I guess, in the book. And uh, it worked, really worked. It was great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it
1: was freaking fantastic. And yeah, I think it's such the right call. It made me think of uh, Luke's line in The Last Jedi of to think that the light dies, the light dies with the Jedi is vanity. And I think Referring to all of the many people that have access to the force. And we've seen glimpses of these other groups um, throughout the Disney era. But then to come all the way back and to hear about, um, I can't remember what they call it, but basically the gathering on Jeddah of all of these different groups of of people who have a relationship to the force and different views of it. Yeah. And do they use it like the Jedi, you know, and I, I feel like we'll get to Jedi at some point in phase two. We will.
0: It was talked about this weekend at New York comic con that we're leading towards like a book that Kevin Scott's writing called the battle of Jeddah, for Jeddah. I, I can't remember if it's of or for prepositions. There's going to be a lot of exploration about all these different people gathering on Jeddah, talking about all their different relationships to the forest. And a war basically break, will break out about all these different. Sex of people who are force followers when
1: you hear when you read this book and learn about the path of the open hand you can almost see how the path would be an instant could be an instigator of something like that happening and it's so cool to think not cool you think about the greater star wars timeline right and we're learning about all these different groups but when we get to the fall of the republic it feels like the jedi are all that are left of all of these groups or all that have a presence, uh, a nominal presence in the galaxy. It's the Jedi. And I think that is something that the higher Republic is tracking, right? I think that's something they're kind of ultimately leading towards. And I think that we're kind of seeing the beginning machinations of this. Because too, right, this is the era of exploration and transportation in the galaxy. And so, you know, we've ha- we have all of these planets that Maybe we're connected to each other. We have no idea how travel worked between planets, but we know that it was a lot more difficult. And so you had all of these, I don't know, groups of people using the Force existing in, I don't want to say complete isolation, but more isolation than they are, you know, in like the prequel trilogy era. And how do they develop differently? It's just, it's super cool. And I'm really excited to see more of the galaxy in this time period i think it's so interesting and you know i i'm excited to get back to things like hyperspace routes and lanes and we got to see some of that in this book too and it feels like they laid some groundwork for the bigger picture. Like we'll talk about the forever war. Well, there's not really much to
0: say about the forever war. We there's know, not much. To we say don't about know the about it, war, but just that <laughs> dropping hints that there's a forever war. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I read whatever the, that means. Right. I, I didn't realize initially the prologue in this book. I didn't realize initially that that prologue was for phase two as a whole and not just for a path of deceit. And so when I went back and was rereading it and, like read the title. I don't know if anyone's like me that you like kind of skim the titles sometimes on pages, but they're important. <laughs> and when I went back and reread it, realizing that that prologue was for phase two overall and not just for Path of Deceit, it it made the wheels turn even more in my head. Considering that I feel like Path of Deceit doesn't really reference a whole lot of anything going on in that prologue, so we're really just reaching the tip of the iceberg here.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about what we learned about the path of the open hand and what they believe about the force, because as we've mentioned, it is definitely the most interesting part of the book, at least to me, or one that we want to debate the most, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. So the path of the open hand. They believe their kind of motto, their mantra is that the force must be free. And we see them, you, we see them say this phrase a couple different ways in the book. It's usually either the force must be free or the force will be free. And both of those were used with different, I would say, in, uh, connotations depending on the situation, uh, where they can sound, you know, the force must be free or. The force will be free, you know, kind of um, depending on their goals at any given time. You know what I mean? Especially with the mother where we see Marta at the end of the book. There's a lot in there that I thought was uh, chilling, honestly. But they believe that any use of the force is abuse of the force and so someone like a jedi using the force as a disruption to the balance and there are ripple effects across the galaxy unknown ripple effects across the galaxy and i thought kevmo and marta their relationship throughout the book i thought was such it's we always talk about the jedi in love and how we want to see that story and i think this this was the kind of story we wanted to see. And seeing them kind of butt heads, or I wouldn't even say they butted heads, but just having conversations with each other about what they believe. And Kevmo really taking in what Marta was saying about the Force and questioning for himself if how he used the Force was actually abusive. And I thought that's usually... We usually... I feel like a Jedi is that we see are usually so confident about their view of the Force and how they use it and trusting it and, you know, feel the Force, all that good stuff, right? But Kevmo, this young Padawan, having his first real crush on this girl who has a completely different viewpoint of the world and the Force than he does— But he's taking it seriously, what she's saying, and having conversations with his master about it. The first time he uses the Force when they're at the market, he doesn't know what the Path of the Open Hand believes and completely scares all of the children there and scares Marta and realizes his mistake. And then later, when that great flood is happening in uh, the Path of the Open Hand in their caverns, in their caves and stuff, and he uses the Force to save Uh, the babies I can't remember what species they are but Marta's conversations to herself the justification she was giving herself about why it was ultimately okay for Kevmo to do that in that instance because he asked her permission to use the force there and she gave it in order to save the babies and when Marta is talking about it later on with the Herald he kind of I would say, sets her straight for what the path, how the path would have responded to that situation. And he tells her uh, on page 215, the Herald says, have you considered that Kevmo's gift to you might have cost someone else dearly? That is the way of the force. Take here and deprive the galaxy elsewhere. A false will imposed here, a vacuum there. We do not know what the ripples will do, but we do know that they exist. And it's, I I'd never thought of the force this way, honestly. And so it just seems so overwhelming to think of it like this, considering how we view Jedi and their use of the force. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. I have a quote here from page 141. It's when Kevmo, they're having a really healthy debate, like you mentioned, right? Marta and Kevmo are having a really good conversation. Kevmo says, the force isn't merely something that exists, though. It isn't meant to be ignored. The sun is warm, right? The sunlight, it feels like it's everywhere. In the very air, it gives life. Here on Donna, the planet needs its suns. All life does. Not just to bask in the warmth, but to use it to transform energy and to make it life. The plants use the sunlight, but the sunlight isn't harmed. Later, he says, you can't deprive someone of the force not like that. Me pulling on it doesn't remove it elsewhere. The only way to be cut from off from the force is to do it yourself. I think this is a clear part of foreshadowing, right, when he says this. And again, the argument is really interesting because you can see yourself as a reader coming down on both sides about, yeah, the force is this mystical energy field and like, who are we to use it? But we do have like, we, I'm talking like I'm a freaking Jedi. I'm not, um, <laughs> obviously, but... Force sensitive people are sensitive to the force, and they have this power and able to and are able to use it in times when they need it. In the light, you know, for the all this, all the things that we know, I'm everyone for knows. Light what I'm and life. About. Okay. <laughs> yes, okay, but also the concept of like using it. It feels selfish. There's a there's an element of it that feels selfish of using this power, and also I think the line of you can't deprive someone of the force, not like that. Me pulling on it doesn't remove it elsewhere. I think that line is really interesting because it brings me to think about the concept of balance and the balance of the force. Because I actually think that someone that we could say that when we're talking about what in our own terms, what balance is, it is exactly that. It's someone pulling on some, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is where it gets into it's semantics. A weird
1: horse stuff <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Or like I'm, I'm talking myself off a cliff a little bit. And I think the line me pulling on it doesn't remove it elsewhere. The only way to cut off from the force is to do it yourself. Again, like I mentioned, I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing the leveler because clearly he does. There is another way to cut someone off from the force. It is by the leveler. And then we have someone, a cult leader in the mother using A creature, didn't know it was a creature before this book. Let me tell you, the shock (laughs) (laughs) ran through my body when the leveler was a creature. I was like, I finished this book a couple
1: days before Charlotte and I was like, holy crap. Why will she not get to the part about the leveler?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then last night at 2 a.m.
1: The leveler is a creature. (laughs) I knew you were reading it. I was like, I got to stay up until she finished (laughs) this
0: Yeah, but it's just... I think that in that moment, you know, I mean, there's no doubt that the mother is malicious and her using a creature in order to, like, suck the life force out of someone in a very literal way in terms of, like, turning them to stone, but then also remove the force from them. It sort of demonstrates in this moment that Kevmo's understanding of the force, like, doesn't think about that dark side or like the darker side, or any sort of like maliciousness at all. He thinks about it like the sunlight, which I think is great. But yeah, I think there is a lot of I, like to your point about the conversations between Marta and Kevmo. I just found them so interesting. And like any good cult, you read it and you are you read about it, and you are like, this seems really nice. They have a nice commune, and then the the cracks sort of start to appear, right? Yeah, they're starving there she's Marta's unhappy and so is Yana people there are unhappy the Herald is also unhappy people are doubting the mother the mother is withholding information uh, and like luring people in in a really dark way but it's it all seems good (laughs) because the concept of gifts freely given is a really good concept too we should all give gifts freely given It it is. That's the thing is they good cults (laughs) have really strong messages that are alluring and bring people in and make sense sort of objectively. Right. And then when you're inside of them and you begin to question them, um, that is not allowed. Questioning is not allowed. Right. So I think that (laughs) I don't know. I really enjoyed watching the cracks sort of emerge and Uh, also allowing myself to see Marta's point of view too and understand that she has some points and I can understand why she would stay. Where else is she going to go? She doesn't have any other place to go. Yeah.
1: We can see the temptation of the path of the open hand because yeah on the outside gifts freely given. Yeah, of course I want to be a part of that. That or at least approve of that. You know what I mean? And I think I think this book made me realize that so much of my, I guess I would say education about the Force comes from the Jedi and their perspective on it. And so having this kind of first truly in-depth education uh, from another group on the Force <laughs> kind of rocked my world a little bit <laughs> because, you know, things like the butterfly effect do exist you know that's and how do we know that the force is truly infinite and i found myself i kept thinking about the cosmic force versus the living force and how that's not really a vocabulary that they're using here and even the the path of the open hand isn't really even talking about the dark side of the force and we see kevmo reference it once when he's telling uh, his master zala about he's sensing the leveler uh, underneath in in the mother's chambers he doesn't know that yet at the time but he tells zala later that what he sensed felt like the dark side but i think that's something and i can't remember exactly but throughout phase one they don't really talk about the dark side very much it's very i would say it's very conceptual and it's not it's not something that the Jedi have experience with,
0: truly. Well, Elzar, though. Elzar is the only one who has, like, a slight experience with it. It's not something that's on the table in the same way that it is in the Skywalker saga. Yeah. And, like, ever-present in that sense. But I, it is on the table. It's just on the table in a different sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that it's... uh it feels like this huge warning all the time in the prequel trilogy, whereas it's, I guess I would say it's not here in this time period. And I think that's what we're ultimately leading to, especially considering Yoda is around for all of this time. He's alive now, right? In phase one. Yeah. That's yep, wild. <laughs>
0: He's an old guy. He's a real old guy.
1: It's just, it's crazy to me. One day Yoda couldn't travel through hyperspace and the next he could. Like, crazy. Um, uh, That kind of made me lose my train of thought there. But... Pondering Yoda will do that.
0: I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, you think about our Yoda series, right? And the end of season six Clone Wars, Yoda just really communing with the cosmic force in those episodes and there seems i don't know it's not a the jedi aren't naive about the galaxy but there's still that we're the good guys they're with the republic they're working with the republic in this era too and i don't know i just i really liked this conversation between marta and kevmo and seeing the cracks in the path of the open hand, and seeing the full, like seeing how deep Marta was in it. Because at the end, after Kev Mo dies, which by the way was heartbroken. That how dare? Was, how dare? I was like, you leave me on the fallen star, and then you give me
0: this. <laughs> With it's like it's not the High Republic without one a ton of heartbreak, like. <laughs> Mm. You said one. It's not one. It's two. And they're great. And I'm so sad.
1: (laughs) I was trying to think if there was any High Republic book that only had one death. And I I don't think. I think it's always
0: been multiple. (laughs) It's just like the High Republic keeps giving me these characters that I love. And I'm like, you're so great. And then they kill them. It's it's really sad. It's sad. I will give them one thing. Belle is still alive. And ever. And I... And em- Belle and Ember are still alive, and I feel like we are really blessed <laughs> in blessed. that because the, in my in my head, Belle and Kevmo were kind of similar. Yeah. Kevmo was just like way more flirty, and <laughs> I, which I I loved that about him, and he also said that about himself too—that he was like super flirtatious and like was flirting with anything that walked, right? Mm-hmm. And I I loved that, and I thought I felt like. I I felt safe with Kevmo in the same way I felt safe with Belle and then Mm -hmm. because of my experience with safety with Belle because Belle made it out yeah I was uh, I was surprised to say the least (laughs) (laughs) yeah I
1: I did not think I thought that if he got out of the commune he would be okay and then he was not and I was not either um (laughs) but I think Seeing how quickly Marta convinced herself back into the path of the open hand after literally watching Kevmo turn to stone was so chilling. It really shocked me, honestly, because Yana is playing the long game here and I could kind of see her reasoning and I could almost kind of agree with her reasoning for you know, deciding to stick with the mother in that moment, even though she had experienced everything that happened with core and trees and and all of that. Because I know, I I think because I knew that Yana saw through the BS of the mother, that I was kind of willing to see where she was going next. But to see, like, when when Marta took Kevmo's lightsaber, I was like, oh, she's going to be the one to kill mother in some kind of rage or something. And then she didn't. And I was, yeah. it yeah. It was so like the back 50 pages of this book just really sent me into, I, it was just so unexpected where all of these characters landed. The fact that they're all still with the path of the open hand and our two Jedi are dead. It's just, it's crazy. And it, it makes me, I'm so excited to see how we go from here to the Nile because, it's Marta or Yana, right? <laughs> One of them <laughs> is responsible for Marcion, Marchion, and I I can't wait to see how we get from the path of the open hand to the Nile because that feels like something that is going that we're going to see explored in this phase, right?
0: Yeah, well this book answered some questions about like what this era was going to be exploring the moment we fa- I found out that Marta's last name was Roe. Interesting. The Gaze Electric, I was like, what? (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Uh, And I think that we also found out, we found out why the Nile hates the Jedi so much or why the Roe family hates the Jedi so much. I think that when there were so many hints of the mother talking about like finding hyperspace paths and like prospecting and things like that, like using the force to find or not using the force or like them coming to her in a vision. It reminded me of what we were experiencing with some of the best stuff with Markeon Rowe. It reminded me a lot of when Markeon used Mari Santeca, her like corpse in order to find these these, uh, hyperspace lanes and like using the force through a different person or I don't even know. I think that you could see the reflections of what was happening with Markion in the same way that what was happening with someone like the mother in the path of the open hand and like how that can escalate so much to the point of the Nile. And just understanding why Markion hates the Jedi so much or why that family would hate the Jedi And why they would have it really comes down to their perspective on the force, which I thought was really interesting. But I wonder if that much has gotten so lost in translation that it's no longer a healthy debate like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's more just no, that's who our kind hates. We hate the Jedi because they are users and abusers. And there's no, again, there's no room for nuance. There's no room for talking about different ways to approach things anymore. And I wonder, when do we get to that point? I feel like we're going to see that point, especially because in my brain, Jeddah, where they're heading next, feels like, from what we've seen in Rogue One, feels like a place where there could perhaps be a swapping of ideas in a sort of renaissance-y kind of way of different ways that different groups sort of think about the forest. I can... This makes this storytelling decision just makes a lot of sense to me in order to like have for them to go towards a a way of having like a forum for all different types of force users and or people who are church of the force type of people. And uh how does that become so hostile that it it really is only the Jedi who rise? I know that we've we've heard of different people who you know, worship at the altar of the force, but really it's the Jedi who are the people who make history and may have a mark in history uh, versus all of these different other force groups. Right. And how does it get to the point where it is so hostile, then so filled with hate that Markon is experiencing uh, where it's only about chaos and destruction
1: well, and that the Jedi aren't even fully aware of the Nile, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm tra- trying to remember the beginning of Light of the Jedi. Of
0: um, No, they're very blind to them. Yeah.
1: And one thing that I was kind of thinking about that I think is good to remember as we follow the path of the open hand is that the path of the open hand existed before the mother Came. So they have been around yes. for a while, existing as a cult, who knows in what capacity. And then the mother comes not too long ago. At, like Marta and Yana were there before the mother got there, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly. So she hasn't been there that long. And Marta had never heard of this gathering on Jeddah, which makes me think that the Path of the Open Hand were perhaps disinvited from what was happening on Jeddah. Like, why wouldn't they have been there prior, you know? That's kind of what I was thinking about. Did they go, were they invited? Did they ever go and were disinvited? I think there's
0: something there. Well, my perspective was that the path of the open hand was so focused on Dalna and living their sort of provincial uh, pastoral life there that them leaving the planet and them like Basically, proselytizing it wasn't really in the picture until the mother was like, No, we must s- spread our word. We must use my charisma to spread the word across the galaxy. We're going to make a lot of sacrifices, but then I'm also going to have these like shady investors who help me c- complete our like mode of proselytizing, which is the gaze electric. Is any
1: of what the mother is doing actually? to further the path of the open hand? Or is that all a sham?
0: I mean, I think this is the question of...
1: I, right, Ev. Yeah, right now I think it's all a sham. And that's kind of what the Herald has realized through all of this.
0: Yeah, I think that she's probably using a group of people to prop her up in terms of power, uh, like most cult leaders do. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that she's also in that sense of everything that I do is the right way. So people who disagree with me will suffer for it. And now she has a, a weapon in those creatures, the the levelers, I guess, uh, that will agree with that at this point. Yeah. So Only one it's dangerous. right now. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I don't know. I think that, I think that right at the end of the book, the Herald is kind of in cahoots with Yana about kind of overtaking. And it feels like they want to put Marta as the new head of the path. Because according to the Herald. The people will follow her. Which is true. Because she's she's pure in the path of the open hand. And in their beliefs. But yeah. I totally think that the entirety of the mother is a sham. That she must have some real connection to the force. But she's she's using and abusing the force. And I, I will also say too. That I they must have been doing some outreach because the herald is the one that buys yana and marta when they were like being sold into slavery or something like that he like rec- rescues them after their planet is destroyed by other people it's really unclear uh i do want to just touch briefly on marta and yana and their race the Evereni. and charlotte you brought this up in our text message last night that they have ever in their name, the Forever War, and the Forever War is between two planets whose name I can't pronounce, which is hold on. The Forever War between Iram and Irono? Erano? Who's to say? But sure. Yeah. <laughs> we're not sure where the Evereni are from. But all of those names start with the letter E, so <laughs> it feels <laughs> like maybe they go together. <laughs> Who's yeah. to say? But I know I had this question about if the, Marta or Yana would be Marquion's mother or grandmother. Because Yana says this thing in the book when she's talking uh, about leaving to Marta. She says, uh, one day the path will be gone. The mother will be dust. The herald will be ash. But we will still be any Marta. And we will still be in search of a home. And I didn't know if that was a metaphor or if they actually have a long lifespan. (laughs) I'm kind of unclear on that. But I think, I don't know, I just wanted to put that on the back burner that maybe they actually have a really long lifespan, this uh, species of, of people in the galaxy. and. Yeah. I, I really liked to the conversations between Yana and Marta and Yana is older than Marta and she remembers coming to the path and remembers the racism that they experienced. And there still are these kind of racist remarks towards them even today. And, uh, how they, what was it? They had to sleep in a separate chamber from all the other littles, all yeah. the other children, mm-hmm. the actual children. And that, I guess, like the nanny or the childcare, uh, care, ca- the caregiver for the littles, they like would not kind of associate with Yana and Marta. And I think Yana says something like Marta's memories must have softened towards everything that happened then, but hers hadn't. And I think that's such a good point to remember about Marta is that she has kind of forgotten and, and softened those memories of the hard times that they experienced, the racism that they experienced. And she probably doesn't have a lot of memories of what happened on their home planet and how they got taken away because it really feels like it's just the two of them that are Evereni. And people have a lot of ideas about who the Evereni are, but it doesn't sound like Marta and Yana have ever encountered other Evereni. Not that Marta has really traveled much in the galaxy, mm-hmm. but Yana certainly has. And it doesn't sound like she's ever been in contact with other people of her species.
0: Yeah, this whole, every time they mentioned something about the Evereni species, I was like. You could tell me anything and I'll believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I really like. I felt like Yana was talking a lot about who they they were and their species and what they thought about them and what people really thought about them and others and out, outsiders. And I think we know from On Rowe and some of the High Republic com- comics from Phase One that the Ever Everini Evereni are really seen as super untrustworthy. So naturally, because you like Marta, I like Marta. I wanted Marta to rise above that, and it seemed like she was. And I'm sort of wrestling with this concept that, like, maybe she's leading towards her, like, being untrustworthy at this point when she ends as a character, when she ends with holding um, Kevmo's saber. And like you said, she could be leading – The path in the future and what does that even mean how will she be as a leader if that happens I don't don't know
1: I don't think Marta I don't think Marta will be untrustworthy I think Marta will be the true version of what the mother says she is
0: Mm. I think Marta will and I don't think that's gonna survive though
1: yeah I think she's I think she's it's gonna kind of like burn in a blaze of glory kind of thing Mm -hmm. and even Mm -hmm. that uh, we were going to talk about in the the next part but what she says about Kevmo after he dies and she's like so heartbroken but then she has a conversation she like comes back uh, and sees the mother and everything that happened there and uh, she says, this is on page 326. She says, She told Kevmo again and again he couldn't take from the force. She told him he hadn't listened and now he was dead. This avatar of the force appeared to bring harmony again. This is one of those chilling lines where I was like, Oh, no, home homegirl is uh a hundred percent in it. She's yeah. Yeah, she's knee deep. Yeah, and in a a, (laughs) chesty. Yeah, in kind of a dangerous way, I would say, especially when we think about the fact that they have this creature, the leveler, and her calling it an avatar of the Force is very telling about how she views it. She's not looking at the horrors of. What it's done to her, it's justified. So there was the conversation um, It's shortly after Marta and Kevmo have kissed and she's decided she's going to go to Jeddah. She just has to present it to the mother and the elders. And she's so confident that they're going to be pro her going to Jeddah. And one of the elders tells her begging is unbecoming, which what I thought was just so awful. But then after that, as Marta is walking away, she says, this is from page 250. She says, um, this did not feel right. She knew she was supposed to go to Jeddah. turning her face up to the bright twin suns. She stared. Her eyes could take it better than most, but it still burned the longer she looked. Also, this is an interesting note about the Everenni that I hadn't really caught before, that her eyes can look into the sun longer than most. So she's, I don't know, it feels like they're, I don't want to say more durable, but (laughs) more durable. But what she (laughs) seems (laughs) right. Um, But it still burned the longer she looked. I do not want the path on Jeddah at this time. The mother had said. The words rang in Marta's skull. I do not want. I do not. I not the Force. Marta frowned. She'd never heard the mother express her own needs in such a way. It was always the Force's needs, the will of the Force. And you see, in that moment, you're like, ah yes, this is, this is the crack that you were talking about, Charlotte. But then she immediately mm-hmm. justifies it of saying, no, this was a slip of the tongue. The mother was mm-hmm. the will to force as far as Marta was concerned. And she goes on some more. But it was like, oh. And that was just kind of step one. So I, I shouldn't have even been surprised after Kevmo's death that the mother could still spin it for Marta to fully recommit herself to the path of the open hand.
0: I, I feel like every time... I expected Marta to leave or wake up, I guess. She didn't. And she only kind of dug her heels in a little bit more. Until she was chest deep. Yes, until she was chest deep. But I feel like I want to say that I know that sounds harsh, but I have a lot of um, compassion for Marta because I think that she's treated so poorly by a lot of different people. People kind of think about her I think in the path, people respect her, but I think people think, oh, she's so soft. Her emotions are only kindness and softness and things like that. But Marta knows she's destined for something more. And I think that she's willing to, I think because she has been really like pegged down so many times and been put in her place so many different times that anytime anyone gives her an inch, she takes a mile. And I think that's what happens with the mother. I think that's what happens at the end. She's so desperate to be secure in something that she goes for what's happening in the very end. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where she goes next, for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm worried about Marta. I feel like she's. I feel like she's in it. She's in it, and I don't think she's going to come out of the path of the open hand, honestly. Uh, from this, yeah, me book. neither. But uh, let's touch briefly on the leveler, which was a shock into the system. I don't know what I expected to come from the freaky egg. It was not this.
0: And Well, I didn't even think it was an egg. I just thought it was a weird jewel, similar to the other rods and things like that. I just didn't think about this at all. It was such a shock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I didn't think about it at all. And I should have when Kevmo was talking about feeling the dark side, because that's how all the Jedi talk about it in phase one of feeling fear. I think that's really kind of the common to not, well, it's all the same how they describe it. But they talk about mm-hmm. that specifically, the feeling of fear. when and cold. and As they get closer. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and everyone around her too didn't like it like core had force sensitivities and oh this was the other interesting thing about the path of the open hand too is that core or yana had mentioned that when she's talking about core's force sensitivity that in another like before the mother core might have been sent to the jedi order for her force sensitivity even though she's part of the path of the open hand so you know i don't know i think there's still a lot of history about the path of the open hand we have to learn but
0: yeah, absolutely. Anyway. This is just, again, like we said, the tip of the iceberg.
1: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the creatures, th- there are. I think what was most chilling is that there are more eggs out there. That sunshine, that weird guy that thinks he's in love with the mother, or rather that the mother is in love with him. But that's what he wants. Uh, there are more eggs out there, which is kind of crazy. Uh, that's clearly what they're they're probably going to take the gays electric to go get more of these eggs. And I wonder, I feel like that will be detrimental to the gays electric and to the people overall. Cause if they're in this confined space of the ship, everyone has bad vibes about it. Even people that aren't super force sensitive. So I kind of wonder what's going to happen if they bring more eggs on. Well, the ship.
0: with, with Kevin Scott's upcoming sequel to this book called path of vengeance, the art depicts about six levelers a mil- around a million Marta <laughs> like so many I'm looking at it right now so many of these creatures around and it's funny And the marketing it's like this is mysterious creatures and when you find out that they're levelers you're like oh my god <laughs> now they have so many, so oh many. No.
1: and they grow so quickly it, I know it's insane um okay but here's the really insane part and again When I finished this book, I was talking to Shannon from Lipstick and Lightsabers about it because Charlotte hadn't finished it yet. And I needed to scream about the leveler. And she sent me one of the prophecies from Master and Apprentice of the danger of the past is not past but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. And I when I tell you I
0: lost my mind. I had not. I'm losing my mind. Still, I, I'm still <laughs> losing my mind. Read it again. I'm going to read it again. Okay. The danger of the past does not pass, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. We're in that. This is that's what's happening. That's the egg. <laughs> How long did Claudia know? It's what I think is is
1: so funny is when we went through Master and Apprentice. You were so obsessed. We were obsessed with all the prophecies, but you were obsessed with this prophecy in particular. You were like, I can't. Figure it out. <laughs> I need to go back and listen to that episode and hear what we said about this. But it didn't make sense. It, d- it didn't it make didn't. We're like, and
0: we're like, Is all ben of the Solo eggs like, didn't necess- the egg. Yeah. <laughs> None of it made sense. It was like the Mandalorian. How does it all? fit Oh in? yeah, the egg there. <laughs> yeah, I was like thinking about all of the eggs and how many times eggs were used in Star Wars, and there's there's a lot of times. Okay, and it just never made sense. And this makes the most sense. I'm absolutely shook. Yeah, sick.
1: it uh, it makes total sense. And yeah, positively, I lost my mind. And again, I had to stay up for Charlotte to finish the book so I could send... She, she just told me she was finished and I immediately sent her the prophecy. <laughs> I was like, you're either going to pick up on this immediately or it's not even entered your head, which is... What happened to me and hadn't even. I entered. threw my book <laughs> on the ground
0: when he sent it, and that text came through. I'm like, no way, <laughs> no, no. <way." laughs>
1: um, the other prophecy that I thought from ma- so of course I went back to Master and Apprentice and was like, let me look at all these prophecies now. The other one that I thought might might work for the higher public might be worked in is the one that goes when the kyber that is not kyber shines forth the time of prophecy will be at hand and i kind of wondered if, if this had something to do with some of the other artifacts that they were talking about in this book uh, particularly the rod of seasons there are other rods there's the rod of daybreak and there are some other ones that i can't remember the name to. but yana has the rod of seasons now and uh the The leveler follows the rod of seasons around. They're drawn to each other, I guess. Mm. Uh, I guess kind of because
0: that's what that's what Markion uses when he has the leveler in phase one. Is he has it on a rod? I know you can picture the art in your head right now. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: I think we're we're going towards that, but I don't. I always thought that this specific prophecy had to do with Luke Skywalker, honestly, because I thought the Kyber that was not Kyber shines forth was the Death Star using the energy of Mm kyber to explode alderaan and that's when everything gets put into motion with luke skywalker yeah i i've obviously like this could be all of these could have multiple meanings and that's the point of them but i i think that you might be on to something you might not be it's it's good now to put these in our back pocket and see the egg one
1: though that one was made for this (laughs) Oh, the egg one is this is absolutely
0: there's (laughs) no there is no question there's no question, and I'm just like wow, Claudia, that book, that was a long time ago. Like (laughs) how long? How long? I don't know. It's so good. Or were they writing it deliberate? I don't know. I I need to know the process. I know. I need
1: to know. They must have these prophecies like up on a whiteboard somewhere where it's like, oh yeah, I, I could put the leveler in an egg. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so excited to see more of the leveler and uh, how it how everyone's relationship to the leveler
0: changes and do they get do they get like names like ember (laughs) yeah um, I don't think so because I think they're like so evil and malicious that they don't get names but watch them get names and I say that
1: (laughs) I want everything to have a name so even if it's bad (laughs)
0: Leveler one, leveler two, leveler three, (laughs) all the way up to six. But
1: I feel like (laughs) I was going to mention this in the next part when we talk about Yana, but I wonder if at one point the leveler is actually attached to Yana and not the Rod of Seasons because she, I think if I'm remembering it correctly, she is not telling anyone that she has the Rod of Seasons like in her back pocket at all times, basically. And that, and she believes that that's why the leveler is following her around but I wonder if at one point that changes and mm-hmm. the leveler actually, you know, imprints on Yana.
0: Well, Yana could be the one to destroy the levelers if she truly does keep that in her back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know that's like literal and also metaphorical. <laughs> I don't know if maybe the thing that it is a part of later in the future, like how are, how does Markion use the power of the leveler, which we know is a creature, to put into a rod in order to use during the, um, the Republic Fair? How does that all happen, right? Because like how does this energy then turn into a rod because it's not just energy, it's a creature. So again, there's so many questions. We're at the very beginning of them all. And now I'm, like, so excited to find out the answers. <laughs> yeah, I'm very here. I'm, I'm very ready for it. Yeah. It's it's just – it's interesting because, like, in phase one, I had so many questions and I was ready for the next one. And I was in it. There's no There's no doubt I was in it. And I really liked those books. But I really feel very in it now, now that I have things that – I have questions that I'm more interested in now than I did mm-hmm. before.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. This feels – I don't know. This feels more up our alley. So – I'm really excited to see where things go after this.
0: Definitely. Should we move on to deeper themes and characters? I think we should. (laughs) So welcome to part two, where we're talking about deeper themes and characters. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of a force cult and a cult. Because I think that in a, as a fandom, probably when this is brought into this book and this section, I think that we need to have a conversation about like what the term cult means and like, how does it matter? Because I I wanted to also talk about how The fact that the word cult wasn't used until far into the book. I thought I marked it. I did not. And now I cannot find it. But I'm pretty sure, like 90% sure, that the word cult doesn't come up until like three-fourths of the way through the book. The characters are exploring what path of the open hand is. And when they decide there's malicious intent, then it is called a cult. But actually the term of cult is like a neutral term. And and I say that with some – I uh, studied this in college, actually, a lot of, about religion and fringe religions and how in college I was sort of told that we should be very careful with the term cult because it should be neutral because it really, by definition, is just a system of religious beliefs and rituals with an often self-appointed leader. And the question that you have to have then is when does it become malicious to the point where we're saying cult with... Uh, a gaze outside that we are, that has like negative intentions, right? And I think that process actually happens in this book, which I thought was really interesting. Is we we talk about in the last section of this podcast about how Marta and and Kevmo have this very healthy debate, and that healthy debate is great. But when does it turn into? malice and when does it turn into a dangerous situation like when is Marta in a dangerous situation and when is she not and I think it's pretty clear that she's in a dangerous situation probably throughout it but the most dangerous situation happens at the very end when Mm -hmm. now she could potentially like usurp the mother as a leader and she is like rising (laughs) and I think uh I don't know. I think that it's worth talking about just because I think that sometimes even as a fandom, we throw around like, are the Jedi a cult? Like, are they technically a cult? And I think that you could argue both ways. I certainly have. And I've also certainly have not as well. And I just think it's really cool that Phase 2 is some is going to ponder this question in a lot of ways and really kind of force us as Star Wars fans to question Like, how do we see the leading organization of, like, the Force-obsessed people as the Jedi? And and I think that we are forced to talk about them positively, neutrally, and negatively. Um, I think we've been doing that since the prequels, to be honest. But I think that this series is pushing us even further. Um, It's also important to note that a key facet of, like, when... An organization becomes like the negative skew of a cult when you have a leader who is filled with charisma and that charisma can mean a lot of different things. And I think that it was it's interesting to think about the mother as someone with charisma because clearly people like Sunshine and even the Herald and Marta and Yana – and the children and everyone really in the area are like totally charmed by her own charisma. It seems like, in the story that is told in this book about like the mother's entrance into the path, that this, that her charisma really like takes over and transforms them and pushes them forward in a way that like they weren't going forward before. Again, I think that everything feels great in a cult. Until there's a major power grab. And that power grab happens in the last act of this book, right? I think that we can see because we know. (laughs) Because we're already like with Star Wars, right? Like not just – like we're not reading this separate from – our knowledge of star Wars, like we're already on the side of the Jedi because we know the Jedi to be the good guys, the people that last and all these things, right? Like we, we are recognized, we recognize the Jedi, but we don't recognize the path of the open hand. So we're already on the side of the Jedi. Um, but we wonder like, okay, so the path of the open hand seems like, I think I used the word pastoral before they, I feel like they're like a pastoral people. And when did things shift, uh, into a scare, like scary territory. I think what this book did really well is it it showed a decline into scary territory, but not as such a sharp decline that we get into like major extremism like we get with Markion later. And I think that there's an argument to be made about how that's actually scarier than what we have with (laughs) (laughs) Markion, That uh, someone who is like, there's such a, there's a power grab at play with, the mother controlling a whole group of people, taking a group of people, proselytizing, using the gazer electric. There's a lot of shady stuff happening behind the scenes. You know there is with the sunshine with like money transfers. There are things that we don't know that's happening that I think is gonna sh- that are it's gonna shock us later. Um, and the the question is why and uh, where are we going with this? It makes me also wonder. I think. Sorry, I don't mean to be like a little on a little bit of a tirade here, but I think when it comes to like Yana's character and like the rest of the children being placed in the Graf mansion and we know the Grafs are like m- gajillionaires, like super elite, super rich. So I sort of wonder through all this with the trap that it was li- that was laid for the children And the fact that the graphs were alerted from the mother that if there's something like more malicious happening behind the scenes with like are the graphs funding the mother in a way or did the graphs promise something for the mother in the future? I I feel like we're leading towards like the mother having powerful connections that might lead to a bigger power situation with the path of the open hand. I mean, we're talking about a group, the path of the open hand were a people who lived in this very, um, they, they lived very simply on Dalna, um, simply, even though they have very like advanced structures. I loved this about the, this book, by the way, the talking about like the honeycomb like structure about where they lived and things like that. I thought that was so descriptive and so well-written. I, it felt like I was there. Um, but they lived a life that was like purely on Dalna. And then the mother enters the picture and is like, no, we're going to go all these different places. We're going to spread our word. We're going to do all these great things with the world and um, with the universe and really spread what we know about the force. And the thing uh, that lives underneath this all is that that pastoral nature that is present on Dalna wasn't actually happening because – the children were like committing these violent acts of like stealing these artifacts and bringing them back. And all of that was happening under, under their nose. All this to say, I think that there's a lot of um, crazy stuff happening basically with the mother behind the scenes. And I wonder how that's all going to shake out because for sure, these people are in a cult. This is a dangerous cult. And I, I, I think it's only going to get more dangerous.
1: Yeah, you had a couple things that I wanted to comment on that you said. Number one, about the, <laughs> the power grab. And I would say the power grab hasn't happened yet, that it's going to happen. And they're going to
0: install Marta as the person. Well, I would say that I think we thought that it was going to happen in this book. Yeah. Like there were, there were parts where it was like, no, Yana is going to take control. Yeah, definitely. She's going to kill it. Yeah. Like you're right. There is no vacuum that was created for a power grab. Yeah. But I think that <laughs> it was, it was debated. Oh that yeah. It was going to happen.
1: <laughs> I was so ready for Yana to slice the mother. And then I was so ready for Marta to slice the mother. And then no one did. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the
0: thing. That's the thing about charisma. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Is that, You're so charmed by that.
1: Yeah. uh, You can't even
0: see past it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Yana makes a comment at the end of the book that the mother is upset with how closely the leveler follows Yana around because I gather that she was trying to imprint on the leveler by keeping the egg with her all the time, you know? So anyway, uh, yeah. So I think think the power grab is coming and we're going to see that in a much bigger way come the next books and the rest of phase two. The other thing I think is interesting to think about is the way that we're going to be shocked by how deep the mother's plans go. Because I think we can look at this book and be like, yeah, obviously she's in cahoots with other people that are giving her money. For these artifacts, how much are the children really spreading the good word of the path of the open hand? Uh, I think Marta even comments that they've had less and less recruits every time the children go out. And and Marta even tells Kevmo that they get these force artifacts to save them that the children do. But it's like all part of their mission out in the galaxy to preach the good word, but then to also rescue these artifacts, having no idea of the, it it feels like the mother, right, kind of cares less about the recruiting side of it than she does the artifacts. And this is probably to fund whatever it is that she has going on. And there Mm -hmm. are some other pieces here that I was thinking of when you were talking about, about just perhaps how deep her connection with the graphs go, right? We know that she most likely alerted the graphs, like set set the trap for the children to kill all three of them and only Yana survived. survived. Um, but we know that the gays electric, the Nile Ro- the Rose, they're going to kidnap a Santeca, Mari Santeca at some point. And we know that the graphs are in this kind of eternal Montague and Capulet relationship with, the Santeca's. Uh, so I think that's yes. a, that's an interesting piece to kind of keep so in mind about so how deep this goes. If the capturing of Mari Santeca is with the graphs against the graphs, I think there's going to be something more shocking about the mother's behind the scenes machinations than just funneling money into certain places and I am excited to hear more from the mother directly about her life and kind of how she came to the path of the open hand because it it's not it can't just be about money for her right because she's going to the extent of I, I would assume trying to exterminate anyone not just Jedi anyone who uses the force and that's why she's getting the leveler, and getting more levelers. So I think that's going to be. I I am looking forward to being shocked <laughs> to what the mother <laughs> really has going on behind the scenes that isn't just about the money, because I think it's going to be bigger than that. And I hadn't really thought about just how deep her connection with the graphs could go. So I'm glad you brought that up. I thought it was kind of just nominal, a way, a quick way to get rid of the children. But if she's able to contact the graphs and for them to believe what she said, she can't just be some random person, you know. Well, the money has to be coming from somewhere, yeah. Like, giving her, like, you imagine the graphs, right? They have, which I loved this planet that the graphs were on because they talk about how this planet was once, I guess, a um, oh, what's the word, a proponent for where to install the republic, but then the planet became uninhabitable, but then the graphs. Paid for it to be habitable just for them. I love that narrative. (laughs) I am so invested in the graphs and the Santecas. I can't even tell you. But for the graphs to get some random tip off that they're going to be robbed, like how seriously do they take that? Right. But I so I think they must know the mother is what I'm saying here. Anyway, I think that's really interesting. One thing, uh, while you were talking, too, I went and I looked up our notes from The Rising Storm, uh, which was the second adult novel in phase one. And there were just there were just a couple of lines here about the leveler that I wanted to re-remind us of because I didn't remember this part, honestly. Um, And if you remember in The Rising Storm, Markion takes two other people with him and they go on this. We don't have it written down where they go. But I think they go to the home planet or something, a shrine, with the Great Leveler. And uh, our mm-hmm. notes say, the Leveler. Introducing this to canon seems like an extreme move. <laughs> 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 if only we knew. Uh, we go on to write in our notes, the Great Leveler protected by a shrine that Udi dees and Kufa visited ends up being destructive. Once Markion figures out how to set it free, turning loaded into stone and overwhelming bell. Markian has a lightsaber here, so this is interesting. Perhaps it's his Kevmo or Zala's lightsaber. And on page twenty-nine, we have quoted. Um, we don't say we don't have who is saying these things, but in on page twenty-nine, the Rising Storm, it's quoted. But it will be worth it to look upon the leveler to feel its nullifying peace, as our ancestors did long ago, as we were taught, all of us. And I think that is interesting to think of in context of the uh leveler now being first introduced the great the fact that the great leveler is this leveler well, number
0: one <laughs> yeah well I think that in our conversation about the power grab is the mother like completely consumed by the levelers and then is all that remains the levelers themselves like is that crazy to say I don't know it feels like when you read that last line about when we feel that nullifying peace. What, can you read that line again? So it's quoted, but it will be, because
1: remember they go through this whole storm yeah. and I wonder that yeah. Marquion has like a vision or a dream about, Said his father? I got to go back yeah. and read it. Something something trippy happens when they're yeah, in the cave and everything. It's like an yeah. ice planet too, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll be worth it to look upon the leveler, to feel it's nullifying peace as our ancestors did long ago, as we were taught all of us
0: that's what I mean. Like as we were taught, it feels like path something was, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that feels like the path of the open hand, but it also feels like their, instead of the mother, their leader became, or like their God became the levelers. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting <laughs> because they're uh, like they suck the force out of life and also the literal force out of them. Yeah. So I, I I had a note about this previously and I didn't touch it, but the concept of gifts freely given also is completely the opposite of the leveler gifts freely given is like I mentioned a really solid, like objectively good concept mm-hmm. and the leveler removes like it just takes gifts are, are, are given, right? And the leveler simply takes. And if that becomes the 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 god or the figurehead of the path of the open hand, first off, there's no open hands anymore. They're not giving. So it's really like the path of the leveler <laughs> that it will become if they went went for that, because that's really their understanding of the force. It's not, we can live among this and we can listen to the force and have a a figurehead who speaks to the force. Instead, their figurehead becomes someone who takes the life force and the living force away from anyone.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And just thinking, too, about the leveler here, the fact that they call it the shrine that they go to visit, the great leveler, it makes me wonder what you said, too, that all the other levelers were killed and there's just this one left. And that's why it's protected in this shrine that like the jedi win they have a false sense of victory and then markion sets it free again in phase 2 in phase 1
0: yeah exactly how do they get a how do they destroy it because i remember when this was introduced and i was nervous because i was like this is a really really big deal to introduce this into canon i still feel that way but <laughs> less so because i do believe that they have a really good story to tell about where it went. And, like, maybe that's also being explored in shows like The Acolyte. I, I don't know. Uh, I was going
1: to say, what if The Acolyte is... Because, right, if Phase 1 is the... Everything goes to hell in a handbasket. The... um I can't remember the name of the ship. The Starlight Beacon is crashed. Everything... So many people died, right? And we don't know what the leveler is. Phase 1 or Phase 2 is all about... The development of the leveler how we get from the path of the open hand to the nile presumably and a lot of other things too this is right we're just in book one we don't know what other story threads are going to be happening here but the one of the acolyte is almost like phase three where we see the jedi win against the levelers like figure it out
0: i mean yeah i think that there has to be victory right like there has to if in the third phase of that is the final phase i'm unsure about that by the way yeah because like what happens at the final phase are we done with the High Republic? Like, really? That happens next year. I don't know. I feel like that seems really soon. And I'm I'm not ready for this exploration to be completely over. And I'm sure they feel that way, too, because there's a lot to explore still in this era. Anyway, I, I think that these are all good questions, Caitlin. Lots to ponder. Yeah. <laughs> Lots to ponder. <laughs> If only we could be a fly on the wall in those conversations oh that were happening. having. I want to see the whiteboards. I want
1: to see the whiteboards. The whiteboards. I want access to their shared drives,
0: you know? <laughs> so many documents, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I, I want to see the file system. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, I feel like we've talked a lot about our characters, but is there a character that you kind of want to dive into a little bit more that we didn't touch on as much in part one?
0: I just want to give Yana a shout out because I think Yana was a character I wasn't so sure about in the beginning, but at the very end of this book, she is literally the only one I'm rooting for. <laughs> and I, uh, because she's, yeah, she's, she is great. Like I, I love her this like butch lesbian, like super cool goes in, steals the artifacts, knows it's wrong, but like doesn't care. Like has, <laughs> has like such an attitude and like, is, um, it's funny because in the beginning of the book, I think that as our eyes are with Kevmo, like our audience eyes are with Kevmo and we understand what he's going through, those healthy debates, all these things we're talking about, right, with Marta. But by the end of it, I think Yana is our eyes. Like the shift, there's a little bit of a shift that happens where it's yeah. like Yana is the only one who sees the truth yeah. and she's the one that is going to kind of bring vengeance onto the characters we despise it doesn't happen in this book, but we, I I have faith in her because she is so done. Yes. And she's so honest and filled with rage. And I was really with her when Core died. And I felt, I was so, I felt so bad for her. And I felt like that was going to happen. Like I just, I, in my heart, I knew it was going to happen because we didn't see really the other, I don't know. I just, I, I, I had a bad feeling about that whole mission. just Totally crumbled, and I felt like we really were with her in trying to get it done so that she can move on and go to a better place. And I also think that Justina and Tessa both talked about how much they really liked Yana at New York Comic Con this weekend. And I feel like a lot, a lot, like went into that character. And I, I left being like, I really love her, and I can't wait to see her again <laughs> um, because I think that she's they crafted a really complicated character. The fact that she stays is so interesting.
1: Yeah. I think nothing preceded how I thought it would in this book. I didn't I I thought Yana would leave on her own. I knew that something was not gonna go right with the last mission. I did not expect core and trees to die. I was so shocked. And like the whales that were there and trees like bleeding out. It just, oh my gosh, it was heartbreaking. It was so
0: descriptive. It was like and it, I really, really felt it.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah I did too. And like her blind rage, like getting back, and her confrontation with Sunshine, and then the Herald not even caring. Cora's uh, father was just—it was—it was all so shocking. And yeah, I I totally agree with everything you said. I can't really add more to Yana than you already did, other than. Uh, I completely agree that she's who I'm rooting for. And she's kind of, she's in such a weird position now because she's kind of playing this role as what is it champion? I think is what they call her of the leveler and the Herald kind of gives her this role, but it's also, I guess now they're going to be plotting together. And perhaps what I hope is we'll get to see a little bit more of the Herald's own rage about the fact that his daughter died and bled out I don't know it just it was really shocking and I I did think it was kind of not funny but the pacing was interesting of how a lot of these really big things are happening at the end of the book but like Marta is just kind of like okay sounds good (laughs) I'm just going to go ask for permission (laughs) until things really start to pick up at the end. Even after she hears everything that happened, like once her and Yana have that whole talk and uh, when Yana comes back and she hears the truth of what happened and they, you know, she gives her a bath and feeds her and everything like that. she still like kind of calmly going from place to place. And it's only that moment with Kev after he dies that I think like truly shakes her to the point where I thought she wouldn't be... Centered again with the path of the open hand, but that of course was incorrect.
0: I think that she's so deep in the path of the open hand that she, like, all she wanted was to advance in the path of the open hand. She can't think about anything else beyond being in the path of the open hand and advancing within. And I think that she's just someone who, like, really craved validation. And I think she got that validation from. Validation is probably not the right word. I would
1: say like a lot of our characters, that sense of belonging. Yes, absolutely. Especially considering she's one of a kind as
0: never any. Yes. Thank you for using that word. I think that is absolutely so true. I think that she feels that sense of belonging with Yana. Okay. So when in those like quiet moments where when Yana returns and things like that, like what you were mentioning, I think that she has a deep sense of belonging that she's supposed to care for Yana, be there for her in the same way that Yana has been there for Marta, right? And I think it's not until things things like fully shift when she's offered something and she finally feels that sense of accomplishment that she's been craving so much, that adoration from the charismatic leader that is the mother, that she she needed that so bad. And from then on out, there's no way she's turning, she's leaving. There's no possible way. She can't stay away from that because well, she got that sense of belonging, that sense that validation in that moment.
1: But I would I would kind of argue against that cuz she doesn't get validation from the mother. The mother keeps shooting her down every time she mm. wants to she asks to join the children like remember in the beginning of the book everyone's like oh, Marta don't ask her again. Yeah. No, absolutely,
0: but she gets it at the very end.
1: Yeah, but I would say that Marta—I would say that Marta can't see a world outside of the path, whereas Yana can, because Yana has experienced it. And Yana even yeah. talks about how Marta has made Dalna her home. Which, by the way, just an aside, Dalna sounds like such a pretty planet, just like a, totally. an aesthetically pretty planet. And I want to see more art from from Dalna. Anyway.
0: I mean, it doesn't help that the, pa- the the cover of this book is like literally so gorgeous. So
1: cool. It's so great. You got to get a hardcover. I know. Copy, I Kayla. do. I do. We just have the advanced copy, but you got the hardcover at New York Comic Con and I need to get it for myself too. I I have like one shelf that has all of my High Republic books on it. And I'm kind of like out of bookshelf space in my apartment now. And I I, think we
0: need a High Republic shelf.
1: Unfortunately, I I think it's, it's, I do. I have the High Republic shelf. It's full.
0: Like, Um, I think we need two shelves, three shelves.
1: I don't, I I don't have any more shelves. That's the problem. (laughs) So I feel like I'm going to replace phase one with phase two, because I just, I feel like phase two is going to be my favorite. Anyway, I think so too. Uh, and the covers are also gorgeous. Like I really love the covers that we've seen so far in phase two. I just, I think, I think they fit my aesthetic, <laughs> 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 but I think that to, to bring it back to Marta, I think that Marta has that Kevmo is the first thing that she wants outside of the path. And that, that once, you know, he mentions Jetta and suddenly it's this opportunity for her that is not the children, you know, like, okay, if mother doesn't want me to be a part of the children, that's fine. But ever like, I know that I am 100% for the path. So what I could do for the path is I could go and represent us in Jeddah, and maybe get to be with Kevmo at the same time. One of my favorite parts of the book is when after they kiss, w- which one I love that Marta is the one to initiate everything with Kevmo, that she's the one that kisses him. And I love that Kevmo is like, I didn't know any did that considering they have such sharp teeth. <laughs> and I
0: don't know. So good. It was really good. <laughs> so and good. then
1: when she teases him about making babies and she's like, oh, Jedi can't kiss. And Kevmo admits that it sounds kind of dumb when she says it, <laughs> and then it's like, "Don't worry, Kevmo. One day I'll see you on Jeddah and maybe I'll show you, like, I'll convince you basically to turn away from the from the Jedi and kiss people and fall in love and even have babies." And then she like just kind of, I would, how I pictured it, she just kind of like flutters her eyes and like walks away. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, that's how left, I pictured like, it too. Okay. <laughs> I I loved Kevmo so much like I think I could have loved him more than Belle that's how serious it was I loved his personality he reminded me a lot of Belle so it makes sense why I loved him so much but one thing I thought was really cool about Kevmo is we talked a lot and got to experience in uh, phase one that the Jedi have very different ways of experiencing the Force that we don't really get to explore that much in the prequel trilogy era and it was always really fun to see how different Jedi felt and imagined and pictured the Force around them and Kevmo was something completely different in that he felt the Force overwhelmingly which I thought was so cool and I'm page 123 he describes it as the force drifted through him bright and powerful and kevmo focused on regulating the flow his connection to the force was strong but uneven prone to bursts and fits if he wasn't careful and he also kind of mentions that he doesn't turn the force off of course but it's kind of like a dampener on himself and how it flows through him it's like he's And uh, a wide open conduit in a way that some other Jedi aren't and is a different way of kind of regulating the force flow, which I thought was super cool. And wish I had more of that (laughs) to experience with him. The only thing.
0: Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I just had to have to pause on that
1: because same, but (laughs) it's just funny. <laughs> Put a pin in that. Thank you, Tessa, Justina. The only thing I wish that this book had given us is I wish we would have seen more of Zala and Kevmo's conversation about Marta and Kevmo kissing. We Zala gives Kevmo a great speech about his relationship to the force, which I'll read in a second. But When when Kevmo comes back from what is the name of the market, like Ferdan or something like that? And he meets Zala, and Zala basically tells him that the innkeeper saw him and Marta in the marketplace. And Kevmo immediately knows that his master knows that he was out kissing a girl. (laughs) And she goes, Let's talk about attachment. I would have loved to have seen the entirety of that conversation because We know that the Jedi have similar rules to attachment that we see in the prequel trilogy, but they're also in some ways a little bit more lax and a little bit more forgiving, I would say, and allow for exploration in a way that I don't think we really got to experience in the prequel trilogy. So I would have really liked to have seen that
0: conversation between them. See, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was like, I'm so glad they didn't show that. We don't need to go through that again. We know what's going to happen and we know what's said. I understand that you're coming from a place of, like, wanting more time with Kevmo and things like that, but I was sort of like, thank God we're not going over Uh, that dogmatic rule again. (laughs) Goodbye. I guess I'm thinking
1: I don't think it would be as dogmatic in this Mm. era, so I wanted to Mm -hmm. see how they – talk about it. Because we know that with our favorite trio, not trio, of Avar, Elzar, and Stellan, that...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also, just for clarification, if you haven't listened to our other episodes about that, all we want is more Avar so that we can say that it is a trio, okay? Because they... They talk about it being a trio, but we don't know that it is a trio. Okay. Not Period. Even more
1: Avar. It's any Avar in the books. Um, yes. I know. Oh, yes. Anyway, you'll, if you want to hear more about our thoughts on Avar, go to our previous High Republic discussions. I think she's super cool. I don't know anything about her,
0: alas. Beyond what people talk about her, yeah. which is in itself interesting. I thought it was leading to somewhere, and we didn't get there. Anyway, yet.
1: we know that elzar and avar had had romantic dalliances together as padawans and the way that they talked about it is one of the few conversations we do get with avar in the in the high republic uh, novels is that she kind of tells elzar that i'm gonna i might not remember this correctly but she basically how i remember it is she tells avar elzar that it was fine when they were Padawans and youngsters, but now they need to grow up, basically. And so I kind of wonder how that's taught in this era of the Jedi. Maybe it is still the same very dogmatic approach, but I kind of thought it might be different. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. I I totally see where you're coming from, though, of like, we know that they're not supposed to have attachments, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um. But the other, the one other quote I wanted to read for Kevmo is from his master, Zala. And Kevmo is talking about how he feels like he was meant to meet Marta and that Marta has told Kevmo that he's a challenge for her and he kind of feels the same about Marta. It just feels like they were meant to meet and to have this connection to each other about the force and about kind of the past that they're on. No pun intended. Gonzalez says to him, it is good Marta Roe and this place are helping you understand yourself. Doing so is the only way to eventually learn to breathe with the force, to live as one with it. But, Kevmo, remember what you already do know. Remember that you do already know the force. You know what it is and what it is to you. It's the sun inside you and it is the force that lights you up. The force that lights her up too. If your association allows both of you to grow brighter, that is all to the good. But do not confuse your shared brightness in the force for something more powerful than the force. And that felt like such a I don't know, like a gentle way to, to even to talk about attachment and that for the Jedi they live to serve the force. And so there can be that shared brightness with someone, but that can't be your North star. That can't be your son. Your son has to stay the force. And, you know, we'll see how that will challenge the Jedi in the future. But it it made a lot of sense here. And it felt, it felt like a little bit like gentle parenting (laughs) from Zala to Kevmo. And I liked how she kind of gave him that confidence too, of you should be challenged by Marta. But mm-hmm. you also need to remember wh- how how you view yourself in the world too, and be confident in
0: that as well. Yeah, it's like you know yourself. Also, I was going to use this quote later in our quote section. Oh, sorry. And it's it's very it's okay. It's very <laughs> it's very good. I really liked it because um, for the same reasons that you pointed out, I think gentle parenting is a funny way to put it, but I think it's true because it felt like. It felt like, yeah, you can explore all these emotions, you can do that, but you also know who you are. You must mm-hmm. like come back to you know who you are, which I think would be really nice to hear in like the prequel era Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> from you know from a master to an apprentice. I think we needed that. I can. I wish that. Obi-Wan had sort of said this to Anakin and yeah. maybe things would be different. You never know.
1: That's what I was kind of thinking too. Like Anakin, Obi-Wan is kind of teasing Anakin in the beginning of Attack of the Clones, right, about his feelings for Padme. He's not rejecting them or saying that it's wrong that Anakin is feeling them. But he does kind of later on, you know, about... I, of course, I can't remember the exact quote. I feel like that's been my theme this episode of I can't remember the exact quote, <laughs> but, you know, relax and like keep your focus on the present, not on Padman and all of that stuff. Whereas here, Zala, it feels like Zala is, like you said, Charlotte, allowing Kevmo to feel these feelings and have this exploration and and really kind of guiding him through it rather than saying no. And I think that that feels like the difference between the prequel trilogy era Uh, and what we're seeing now in the High Republic.
0: Definitely. Also, just to note, I found the quote in which I think is the first use of the term cult, by the way, Mm. in the book. Remember I said I think it happens three-fourths of the way previously in our discussion. I am reaffirming that by saying that I think it happens on page 235. And just a reminder that this book is – how many pages? 240 – no, 345. So – very close to the end, that is the first use of the term cult that I picked up on. I could be wrong about that, but it felt like it's also from Kevmo's point of view. So him recognizing that cult is a term that he is using, and he's using it pretty disparagingly too Yeah, in this part.
1: I think another component of Kevmo's character that makes him so good is that he is really grappling with – what it means to be a good person in this whole scenario when he clearly really likes Marta has feelings for her, but cares about her as a person too, like wants to be her friend, even though he wants more, you know, and knowing that in helping them during the flood, he's also gaining Intel about the force artifacts that are down there or the, the caves, like how the system works down there, the honeycombs and everything. And that he is kind of he feels guilty about that and doesn't really know how to reconcile that and feels bad that at one point Marta will will think that Kevmo was perhaps deceiving her when he wasn't and he kind of doesn't know what to do about that. And anyway, I
0: really love Kevmo. Same. Are there any other characters that you wanted to talk about in this section before we moved on to quotes?
1: I, I did just want to say that, once again, the High Republic is kind of killing it as far as, like, gender and non-binary representation in Star Wars. I think we had yeah. multiple non-binary characters in this book. We had mm-hmm. um, gay representation. We also had a family with three parents and five kids. Oh, I miss that. I miss that. That's interesting. The, um, the babies the the five babies Ooh, that hatch they of have of three course. parents and yeah i just i the higher public continues to knock it out of the park as far as representation in that arena and we this book also i feel like everyone was non-human uh, all of our not our main characters for the most part are non-human right uh, Kevmo, except for the mother, <laughs> right? <laughs> what are they saying yeah. there? <laughs> um, uh, Interesting. Kevmo, what is it? he's Pantoran, right? Yes. Yeah, Kevmo is Pantoran. Uh, you know, we've got the Evereni core. Um, I forget what their species is, but it's not human. They, she has had uh, tentacles, and yeah, we've got the. Uh, the parent I can't remember the kids and the parents name but I remember Marta talking about how they uh, she can tell their expressions like through their whiskers I think is how she describes it and this book was just so vivid I thought like I could really see Donna I could see all of these uh, different species and characters and anyway I really loved that um, because we need more of that in Star Wars so often our main characters are predominantly human and having more different species uh, be the main characters was a great change. And I'm really glad that this book kind of led the charge for that.
0: Totally agree. I think I said this earlier, but I think that the fact that this book was so descriptive and so I could really picture myself in these – like I don't know if it was just so well written to me. I think it really goes back to the two author thing. Mm -hmm. Like there was, I, I I can't remember the last time I read a book that had two separate authors. So I don't really have a reference point, but I felt like there was not a stone unturned, not like everything was really descriptive. And I think that came from like the attention to detail from two separate like pairs of eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously like the editors and things like that, everyone is involved in that. But the writing of the book was two separate people. And I think that's really unique. And I feel like you can really feel in the book that exploration happening in like a dual way, which is really cool. But you also can't tell the difference between like, I'm I'm not like, oh, Justina wrote this page and Tessa yeah. wrote this page. It flowed really well for me in the point where I wasn't like, oh, they split chapters or anything like that. I mm-hmm. did not think that. Yeah. I just thought the book was really well done. Yeah. Completely agree. So let's move on to talking about quotes. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always.
1: All right. Welcome to part three, where we talk about quotes. And this is called Lectio Divino. We do this for almost all of our book discussions. And it's where we each give each other a quote from the book. And we talk about how it made us feel, if it was funny, if it was sad, everything and anything that the quote makes us think of. And yeah, we usually do. I think we're going to do two quotes this time. Yeah. Awesome. So do you want to Read first or give first? Freely.
0: <laughs> Gifts freely given.
1: <laughs> quotes. Free- Maybe we should rename this section quotes
0: freely given. <laughs> yeah, well, let's do it. It's quotes freely given. Okay. <laughs> so the quote that I'm going to give you freely is on page <laughs> 139. The ground surrounding it was blackened in red petals, blown into swirling patterns by the breeze. Wow, Kevmo said, so many flowers. They all fall by midday and rebud into the evening. By dawn, an entire new set of flowers will bloom on the limbs, every day throughout the spring and summer. Marta stepped into the swath of red. She bent and picked up a few flowers, some whole, some only single petals. They they fluttered out of her hands, falling between her fingers. The tree gives of itself so much, every day. So much of its energy is spent on nothing else. If the flowers aren't collected or eaten, they rot quickly. That's the sweet smell. The flowers are meant to be taken, used, eaten, enjoyed. Good quote.
1: I think this is one of the ones where you read it and and Marta and Kevma go on later to talk about how the flowers are a gift freely given and that's the path. And this is one of those You can, right, you can see it so perfectly, this beautiful tree, this landscape, these flowers, Marta kind of leading Kevmo on this literal path and painting this really beautiful picture of what the, what the path of the open hand is. And honestly, when I first read this, I kept thinking of the giving tree (laughs) and eventually the tree gave everything of itself, which I get, and, and died right at the end of that book or just became the stump and became this became this st- for sitting yeah for sitting and the thing is you could look at that like if we're going to put the giving tree into star wars in the path of the open hand in that it eventually did run out and that there is that give and take of the force that the path of the open hand kind of talks about which i think is really fascinating and but there's also this part in it too where Where Marta says the flowers are meant to be taken and used. And I think that keyword of used is what, I don't know, makes me think the opposite of we're using the forest, just like you're using the flowers of the tree. Like it's not just a gift freely given. It's something that is produced in nature. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not just a flower. It's not just Mm -hmm. a gift. It's something more like uh, to Kevmo's point about the sun and transforming its energy, they're transforming the point of the flower. And I gather I realize that doesn't really make a ton of sense, but I swear it does in my head. <laughs> like they're using the flowers as a conduit to talk about the path. So aren't they using the tree in that sense, using its mm-hmm. beauty, using its energy? I think you that's the point. You can really get into the semantics of it.
0: But yeah of course. And also in a quote that we read earlier about like Kevmo trying to talk about how the sunshine uses in the, the plants to create energy and then the plants grow and then here's Marta talking about how this tree that they use for gifts freely given and for giving gifts um like that is using the energy it's all about use is the word that I think keeps coming up in mm-hmm. an interesting way. yeah it was a good quote. I also think that, it's, it's worth mentioning that later in on the page, um, Kevmo identifies this tree as Marta. So this Marta, the tree is sort of personified as Marta in this situation. Um, Kevmo says, you give and give. I've seen it. Gifts freely given. She goes, it's the path. He goes, I think it's you. And I've, I think this is flirtatious, but of course, like, there's a there's a sense of um, foreboding about like, how much can you give, like you mentioned, right? Like until you're absolutely spent up. I I really liked this. You know, I think that whenever a a book can have a little bit of a metaphor in it, (laughs) I'm into it, especially with Star Wars. I think that it's what really drove me in with the with the Revenge of the Sith novelization, the extended metaphor of it all with the dragon, it like hook, line, and sinkered me, sunk me into it, right? Like <laughs> that's, that's what it was all about. So every time I can like point out a little bit of a metaphor happening, I want to talk about
1: it, right? Yeah. And this whole conversation between Kevmo and Marta is great. This is the conversation where they talk about the sunshine and that uh, Kevmo says the force is in a zero-sum game. It's so much more than that. And Marta says, yes, it is. It is a zero-sum game. And, or it's so much more than a game. But they're such on opposite sides. It's 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 a really great conversation, and we can't read the entirety of it.
0: <laughs> Just read it for yourselves. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you have, and you agree. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. All right, are you ready for your first quote? Yes. Here's is a few pages back on page 131. Marta Smiled a little. We do have some fertilizer, natural and gathered from our moss goats, but droids and such technology interfere with our harmony with the force. How so? Any technology disconnected from life is disconnected from the force. When necessary, of course, we don't reject it. Ships for transportation, purifiers, machines that can do things we cannot. But when it isn't necessary, when farming, for example, there is no reason to use it. Even if it makes your life better. Better or easier? Marta challenged. Kevma blinked easier i suppose he said and glanced back at master zala who nodded to
0: indicate she did not mind his concession i really liked this quote i liked this um concession is a, is a good word here to describe this but i also think that he agrees like it, this is one of those moments where marta makes sense kevmo makes sense um and i think the concept of using something to make your life better versus making your life easier is a good debate. But ultimately, one that I think is based in the concept of like you should potentially like always be suffering in like a religious sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I don't necessarily agree with. Like I think if you can do something faster and easier, you probably should if it's going to make your life easier versus, like, suffering through something. And I think it gets into a little bit of, like, a, a philosophical debate about should you rush into something, should you not?
1: Well, let me remind you, in this, which I literally just thought of, of Season 5, Clone Wars, Ahsoka's Ark, the databank. Do you remember this <laughs> databank entry? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yes. the use of technology clouded the Jedi's... The, the Jedi had to use technology... And things like droids more and more because of their diminished, uh, perception of the force during this time, right before the fall of the Republic.
0: And
1: I literally just thought of this because uh, to put some context on it, the, um, the, Right. Ahsoka's arc is she is accused of murder. Right. And there is or there's an explosion, uh, basically a terrorist attack at uh, I think it's the temple or somewhere else that Anakin and Ahsoka go to investigate. And there is a droid there that is kind of leading the investigation or... uh serving taking data from the scene of the crime and in the Star Wars databank uh, they highlight this scene and talk about how uh, the Jedi have had to rely on droids more because their uh, relationship to the force has been diminished as the dark side grows kind of thing and when when I first read this quote what I had initially thought of was yeah I can I can see Marta's point but I also like agree with you of you shouldn't have to suffer just for suffering's sake. But the idea of using something to make your life easier is so that you have time to focus on things that quote unquote matter more Mm -hmm. and, you know, pursuing your life's goals and the betterment of the galaxy and other areas and stuff like that. But when you get distracted and you allow the dark side to cloud everything, you know, has your life become easier? Actually, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good, good point. And I think that if you rely too much on ease versus getting connected, and I think also a huge tenant of the Jedi, I suppose, like, yeah, a huge tenant of the Jedi, I was trying to think like individually, but I think a huge tenant of the Jedi is keeping your mind focused, is remaining in the present, not getting lost in a vision, not getting lost in the past, not getting lost in the future. And if you do get lost in things like technology, if you get lost in Things like ease, then perhaps you are becoming unfocused and mm-hmm. losing sight of the mission at hand, the goal, the force, Unbalanced. meditation, unbalance. Yes, absolutely. So I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. I really need to do a Clone Wars rewatch. It <laughs> is, it is dangerous. Time. How I, I know. You know what? I have the time. I need to make the time. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. So, you chose my quote to talk about, so we're going to do something, okay? Okay. You're going to pick a a number. Oh, okay. And I'm going to – then we're going to do like where on the page, okay? Okay. So – actually, you're going to pick a letter. Okay, a number and a letter. Oh,
1: okay, okay. Uh, okay, I'm going to pick page 189.
0: Okay, and now pick a letter. I got to go with C. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's go with this quote and you're just gonna tell me how you feel about it. There's no wrong answer, okay? (laughs) I I almost got a little nervous when you said (laughs) there's no wrong answer. Sounded like Well, I think that in previous ones, like I've picked them based off of context and this one I'm picking based off of a letter. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Okay. Here's the quote. There is no cut, as you so eloquently put it. The only thing derived from liberating the treasures of the force is freeing the force from future manipulation. Yana snorted, come on, Worth. You and I both know that isn't true. We don't just take the artifacts. We take enough for the mother to sell. To whom and why, I don't care. It's making the path stronger for my cousins. I'm for. It's making the path stronger for my cousin, but I'm booking passage on the next freighter off of Dalna.
1: Okay, so this is... Okay, so Yana is talking to the Herald, and this is before Kor has died. <laughs> important, <laughs> important note. I think this um, this quote I think goes really well with what you were saying earlier about Yana about why we like her so much is that she's a badass, and I love how she refers to the Herald here by his first name. Come on, Worth. W E R T H. <laughs> this reminds me I meant to bring it up earlier actually so I'm glad we got this one of uh, w- there's another scene when she's talking to the Herald where she basically says I oh it's the, oh, it's the next page okay I like just flipped the page and I had it highlighted <laughs> um, the Herald tells her if you tried to live in harmony with the force perhaps you would not find the galaxy so unkind oh worth Yana said with a hollow chuckle ignoring the feeling that the walls were closing in around her I don't care a whit about the force. And it's just, it's so good <laughs> that Yana <Which> is good. <laughs> right? And this, of course, it goes along with this conversation because it's a part of this conversation on page 189 that we picked out. But it's, it shows that Yana has no blinders on about what the path is doing. Yana doesn't care that. No one knows that her ultimate goal, her ultimate mission is to steal these artifacts and kill people in the process. Uh, We've seen them do that. It's not like the mother is telling the children to, you know, try not to kill anyone. The mother doesn't care. And talking about gifts freely given, it's lives freely taken. (laughs) Yana doesn't care that that's what her mission is. She, it's interesting because she still has this. She still wants this to be a home at this point for uh, Marta. She said, you know, it's making the path stronger for my cousin. She thinks if Marta is happy here, what's the worst that can happen? It's stealing some artifacts, money so they can survive. I don't really care uh, here or there. I don't care about the force. I ultimately don't care about the path because she has a lot of memories of what the path was like when they first got there. That is kind of... um, creates her feelings towards the path overall. All she wants is to leave. And that's all that matters. I think that will change as we get further. That's what makes her such a cool character. To are kind of the only character that we're rooting for. Because from day one, she's seen through the lies of the mother. I don't, Of course, she doesn't know the true extent, just like I don't think any of us do. But she's never fully trusted the mother. And she's never been fully invested in the path. It's always been a means to an end. And I think this uh, quote kind of sells
0: that. Totally agree. Yeah, it was a good one to highlight because Yana is just so cool and really just says it as it is. And also, like while this book is really caught up in a lot of like philosophical debate about the force and religion and things like that, she's just like, I don't even care. You guys are just ridiculous. You know, I'm in it for the cut. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that she had there's a obviously like a level of compassion there that is beyond what I just said right of like you mentioned with her cousin and taking care of her and things like that and that she's very aware of and I just think that she's just such an astute character and pretty complicated and I really liked spending time with her
1: yeah I think to the back of the book the you know the excerpt of the book really talks about Marta and Kevmo it doesn't really talk about Yana. So she was kind of a complete surprise for me coming into the book. I don't think I realized how much of a main character she would be. And I'm really glad she was. Totally agree. All right. Are you ready for the last quote? Yes. Okay. This is on page 219. So the context of this quote is that uh, the Herald is telling Marta that Yana wants to leave and wants Marta to convince Yana to stay with the path. So kind of similar to where we just were. Um, Okay. This is kind of the middle of the page. The Herald puts his hand on Marta's shoulder again. Harder. Yana and the mother have an arrangement. After this mission tomorrow, Yana intends to declare her obligations met and herself free of the path, and she will leave. Obligations? Marta jerked away from the Herald's touch. We don't owe the mother anything, nor does she owe us. We, are commitments, our gifts freely given. If Yana wished to go, she could. There's no need to make bargains. You are wrong. And the Herald responds, I am
0: not. Okay. So this is a good quote because I think it goes back to the conversation about like cult-like behavior and (laughs) cults because the concept of the line that really stuck out to me that I want to talk about is, if Yana wished to go, she could. That line has been said so many times if you study any sort of cults, right? Like that is a familiar conversation is like, if you wanted to go, you could. The door is right there. Mm -hmm. But what exists is a lot of baggage between that decision and like whether or not that could actually be executed out. And the answer is it can't. Um, I didn't read this before, but maybe it's worth bringing up. The Atlantic had an article about like seven signs you're in a cult. And I feel like the path actually follows all of them. I'll just go through them really quickly. Number one is opposing critical thinking. Um, I think that's happening here. (laughs) You can't oppose any sort of, like you're always opposing critical thinking. I think we're seeing that constantly with Kevmo pushing Marta, Marta pushing Kevmo. But Kevmo really comes out more of like the level-headed Sense of like understanding that, um, isolating members and penalizing them for leaving. There you go again. You're get, like Yana would be penalized for leaving. She could never return. I bet, um, and they would see her differently if she left in this situation. Right. Yeah. Number three, emphasizing special doctrines outside of the scripture or like the noted religion. Right. Um, so I think that this is where we get into the sense of the force is really different from the norm and the norm as an audience is the Jedi. Right. And like what we know from that. Mm-hmm. Number four is seeking inappropriate loyalty to leaders. That Enough said. Everything with the mother is pretty inappropriate. I think it could have been even more inappropriate, to be honest, in this situation. And I think it might get even more inappropriate. Number five is dishonoring the family unit. Even just com- like talking about how this is the family and the using that terminology between children, littles, elders, yeah. all these things that are talking about family in a sense of like that that's the kind of language that's around. You can't dishonor the family unit. Um, crossing boundaries of behavior, like in terms of personal ownership, what you own, what you don't, you're sometimes in in regular like real world cults these are a bit more extreme of course in terms of boundaries and behavior boundaries but um in this particular fiction I think it has to do with how simply they leave they lit they live and how they can't really live without like outside of that and number seven is a separation from like the main church and I think that's sort of the separation of the church of the forest or the Jedi or however you think about that so I think the path of the open hand really does follow all of these. And I think by highlighting this quote of, if Yana wished to go, she could. There's no need to make bargains. You are all wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just (laughs) how naive Marta is about it all. And kind of continues to be throughout the book,
0: you know. Naive is a rough word. I agree she's naive, but I just think that she's so sucked in. I, again, I just want to reiterate that I have a lot of compassion for Marta here, just because I think that she doesn't know any different. She was so young when she came, and it's hard for her to be challenged outside of it. Well, yeah. And and I think that you can have like empathy for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's still naive though, and she's, she has yeah. mo- like the Harold here is pretty much telling her. You know, she's carefully saying the mission, right? And Yana even tells her what they're doing. Marta knows that they're stealing artifacts. She knows that. Um, But she's prevented from ever leaving to have some other kind of experience to compare with her own on the path of the open hand. So, yeah, I, I, of course, feel a lot of compassion for her. And... I wonder how things will change for her now that they're on the gaze electric. And I, I think I said earlier that I feel like she's in it now, that she's not leaving the path of the open hand. I don't think anything... After losing Kevmo, I don't think... If that didn't make her doubt the mother, I don't think anything will, personally. So, love to be proven wrong, <laughs> but that's kind of how I feel about it now. And I, I think even when Yana will try to reason with her. I don't think it'll work in the future. So, yeah, I I mm-hmm. loved this kind of conversation of the Herald. Because we see the Herald at the end, right, have a very straightforward conversation with Yana about what they're going to do. Yana, I think, kind of picks up on all the subtext throughout their conversations and stuff like that, whereas Marta does not. And it's the difference between the two. And why they'll want to put Marta as the figurehead for The Path of the Open Hand once they oust the mother. Anyway, I love (laughs) Path of the (laughs) Deceit.
0: Yes, me too. Me too. It was so good. I think that brings us to the end of our discussion. And man, I feel like I could talk even more about this book. Like I loved it so much. And I feel like it's going to be a constant reference point for us. And I know we say that a lot, but I really believe that about this book. Sort of shifted a lot of my thinking about the ways that we can talk about different followers of the force, I guess.
1: I think it's important that we can have this book where we can see so much of the sense of what a character like Marta is talking about, but then we see how it becomes so extreme so quickly and so unforgiving and unmalleable. And to the point where, what was it, the the Herald was talking to Marta when he tells her that it was the wrong choice for Kevmo to save the babies and their. I think it was two of their parents or one of their parents and that, you know, their life could mean someone else's death. And then he, those like special bugs come out. Do you remember? And it's like so beautiful and everything like that. And they're like, wow, it's so gorgeous. And the Herald is like, yeah, they live deep underground and it's probably only because of the flood that they, came out I guess of like hibernation or something and he says Mm -hmm. this point of like maybe that's why we had the flood that Dalna was willing to sacrifice like the babies for example in order for these bugs to live and you read that and you're it takes you aback like whoa (laughs) like we're valuing that over, over human life essentially right and it just that we know a Jedi would never do that and I don't think a lot of people feel that way. Anyway, just it's it's a good it's a good think piece the whole book.
0: I really liked that moment. I wish that we talked a little bit more about that mm-hmm. or called it out. I'm glad that you mentioned it here because I think that that was a really compelling moment where it was like, whoa, on the one hand you can talk about like the circle of life on <laughs> yeah. and then also on the other hand you could be like, whoa, that's dark. That's really dark that mm-hmm. you think about all of that as equal so like what are you willing to sacrifice in the future
1: yeah that there's no effort to save others or i guess i guess that you could have that effort but you can't use the force anyway
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh we we're two hours in we can't get into more semantics <laughs> <laughs> but i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and are excited about the kickoff of phase two of the high republic as you can tell we're very excited. And if you want to talk to us about Phase 2 of the Higher Republic, The Path of Deceit, you can find us on Twitter at Pod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, Skytalkers.com, our Instagram, our TikTok, and our Facebook page. Don't forget to check out Instagram if you want to see Charlotte's really cool poster that she got at New York Comic Con. It's definitely worth it. Um, heading over to Instagram to check it out because it's super cool. And and if you haven't left us a review yet on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would love it if you took a couple of seconds to go and do that. It really helps other people find the show. And if you're looking for other ways to support us and how to get involved in our Sky Talkers Discord community, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there.
0: Yes, and I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Mary, Megan, David, Lady Valkyrie, The Morning's Hush, Blessed Cheesemaker, Patrick, Hammy, Z, Neil, Savannah, Jennifer, Tom, Molly, Kels, Alaya, and Sarah. Thank you so much for supporting us.
1: Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you.
0: May the force be with you.